This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment. The conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. Welcome to another episode of Just the Right Book Shorts. I'm joined by Bill Goldstein. Bill Goldstein is a essayist, writer, and book reviewer on NBC and a friend and someone who reads an awful lot. So we're going to cover a couple of books each and then we'll pick a topic that we think might be fun to share with you. Uh, Billy, welcome to Just the Right Book Shorts. Hello, Roxanne. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking today, just as we've done uh, all these other times. So thank you. Yeah, I think this is like our 10th episode or something like 9, 10, 11, something like that. A decade of doing it. Yeah, a decade. (laughs) That's what we'll call it. So, Billy, what are you reading and loving? Oh, God, I love this book that I recently finished called The 272 by Rachel Swarns. And it is about the 272 enslaved people who were sold in 1838 by Georgetown College at, at the time to basically fund the expansion of the college. It was 272 enslaved people who were owned by the Jesuit church and were sold from Maryland. They they lived and, and worked and, and were uh, owned by the Jesuits in Maryland, and then they were sold to Louisiana. And what's astounding about this book, people may remember that in 2016, Rachel Swarns did a story in the New York Times about this. And so this book is based on and is a much expanded version of that reporting. And It's not only a history of the Catholic Church and the moral conundrums and the debates within the Catholic Church about slavery, a very unsavory history, obviously, but also she's able to trace through this history the story of of one family, and it is the Mahoney family. And in the 17th century, there was a woman named Anne Joyce who came here as an indentured servant. And at the end of her indenture, she basically was then enslaved. And so she she was a free woman who became enslaved. And then through the centuries, we follow her descendants. And what I find amazing about this book, and people may have read a, a couple of years ago, All That She Carried by Taya Miles, which won the National Book Award that year, which was the story of generations of an enslaved family and then and then free people after the end of slavery based on a piece of fabric that had been preserved through the through the centuries and the reason i refer to that book is on the one hand rachel swarns is drawing on the incredible documents that trace this history of the catholic church a history that even as documented as it was is erased basically from our knowledge of Georgetown University and and the Catholic Church in America. But also she's telling another story of this family that has to be called from the surviving material. So it's a different kind of erasure of history. And so she resurrects both stories and the feeling and imaginative way in which she is able to tell the stories 
of the two stories and the family story of the Mahoney family through the stories that were preserved generation to generation without that documentation, but in a different way of documentation. So these two sides of the story, it's an astounding book, very beautifully written, a brutal book, uh, very bracing and hard to read on so many levels because of the truths that are coming out of it. And yet a really, really worthwhile book that I just think shouldn't be ignored. It just it's part of a of a of a way of telling history that I think is is just exciting and brilliant. Well, thanks for that. You know, Billy, it reminded me I had the privilege as an understatement of tour by Lonnie Bunch, who's now the head of the Smithsonian, yeah. but had been the executive director that created and and got built the African-American Museum in D.C. And one of the things he talked about was he spent, uh, he, he actually wrote a book also called Building a Museum Under Bush, Obama and Trump, mm-hmm. which is a great story about putting together this museum. But one of the things he talked about is traveling all over the country and having the benefit of people donating a diary or donating a scrap or a vestige or a photograph or a something that when you go through the museum, which I would, I mean, I could not encourage everybody more to go. It's just a brilliant museum. Mm-hmm. And you see how he was able to build a story that is so personal. The theory is that the history of the United States is told through these stories of African-Americans. It is a history of the United States. And as you talked about how we build these stories, he went around and met, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people to pull together these pieces that became part of the exhibit at the museum. I mean, that's that's really what also happens in that book, All That She Carried. And yeah, the way, as you've just said, that Lonnie Bunch says that history needs to be told in ways that move beyond a simple understanding of what is preserved in an archive, because many historians now for you know a number of decades, and I say this as someone who's, you know, (laughs) researching a book, what is preserved by whom in an archive often slants the story in in a way that is not obvious because Mm -hmm. we're obviously only able, the, the, the tendency to draw on documents as opposed to objects or even stories passed down is so limiting. So this is a, I think this is, I'd say, a left turn. (laughs) One of the books that I picked up, and I actually realized I had three copies in my house (laughs) because I kept thinking I wanted to read it. I'd bring it home and then I never read it until (laughs) recently. And I'm not even done with it is Just Kids by Patti Smith. It was published in 2010 
And it is her memoir about her relationship with Robert Maplethorpe, won the National Book Award. And it is both a love story and then an elegy after Robert Maplethorpe died. And although he and Patti Smith were not a couple when he died, they remained a couple in some ways. She was already married then to a man by the uh, name of, I think, Fred Smith. This is one of the most exquisitely written memoir. I mean, she, the fact that she's a poet and a musician are clear in the writing of her book. And her love for Robert Maplethorpe is palpable in the telling. And, you know, you realize that they were literally impoverished when they met in uh, 1967 in New York. They ended up working at bookstores. Patti Smith was working at Scribner's at one point and Maplethorpe was working at Brentano's. And then he became like, a, I think, a window dresser at FAO Schwartz until Patti Smith decided they could she would be willing to be the breadwinner on her Scribner's salary. But you realized their commitment to art as critical to understanding the world and how critical she felt it was for Robert to be able to have the freedom to create his art. And there's a scene that she talks about where they live downtown And then they'd go out and they'd have just a few dollars and they'd have to decide between having grilled cheese sandwiches and art supplies. And she actually decided to solve the problem sometimes by pocketing the art supplies and buying the sandwich. But it is, for anybody who hasn't read it, I mean, I've obviously taken 13 years to pick it up, but man, I feel rewarded by the reading of it. It's it's truly one of the finest memoirs I've read. And she's a phenomenal person. You know, here she is. She's a poet. She's a musician. She has like one of the top hundred albums that was ever produced. Yes. So uh, it's called Just Kids by Patti Smith for anybody who hasn't read it. You, you persuade me almost to reread it. I read it and ditto on everything you've said. Yeah. Yeah. So what else, Billy? Well, the book that I am looking forward to now, uh, or I, well, I've read it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to impressing upon people in August is a book called Tom Lake by Ann Patchett, a new novel by Ann Patchett. And if, if you love Ann Patchett, you're going to love this book, which I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel because it's set at the beginning of the pandemic in a family in Michigan when the adult children come home to sort of shelter with the parents. And uh, they, they have a cherry orchard in Michigan. And so a lot of the life revolves around the land there. But what happens is through this proximity, uh, the children learn from the mother about this relationship she had with a man who later became a movie star in 
what was then the beginnings of her acting career that that she abandoned. And I think early on in the novel, the mother says something like, well, you don't know everything. And even after uh, she tells the stories, and this all unfolds along with much else about the family in the book, it's beautiful how so much is given and yet so much is still withheld. And mm. Anne, Anne Patchett is just one of my favorite writers. And so I was so happy to read this book. And when I say I'm so eager to press it upon people when it's published, I remember that many, many years ago when I was reporting for the New York Times about publishing, so this must have been about 2002, I guess, I did a story about how The Lovely Bones became an unexpected number one bestseller. And you may remember that the year before it was published, Little Brown sent manuscripts to booksellers And one of the booksellers I interviewed at the time said that when she was doing her Christmas sales, you know, in, I guess, 2001, she kept wanting to tell people about the lovely bones, but she realized it wasn't a book yet. And I've never forgotten (laughs) that 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 comment uh, because the book wasn't published till the following fall. But that's how I feel about Tom Lake uh, is that uh, at least now on on our podcast, I can talk about it, but it'll be a book soon. What was the name of her book of essays that came out oh. last year or the year before? Oh, my God. It was such a good book. Um, oh, I loved that. I just. These Precious Days. These Precious Days. Yes. Uh, her, and she also wrote another book of essays further back. This is the story of a happy marriage. But uh, most recently was These Precious Days. Yeah, I loved the happy marriage one, but the. Precious Days, her piece on sort of accidentally taking in Tom Hanks's assistant who was and and the assistant was going through some medical problems that were being taken care of in Nashville where Anne lives. I mean, it's if you ever want to cheer yourself up about what human kindness looks like and what we're capable of, just a, a pick up that book. But read that particular piece in that book because she's just gifted. Okay. In the few minutes we have left, I'm going to talk about a book called Fires in the Dark, Healing the Unquiet Mind by Kay Redfield Jameson. Now, Kay Jameson wrote what I think of as a groundbreaking book. For those who don't know, Kay Jameson was considered a renowned expert on bipolar disease down at John Hopkins. And then to the shock of her colleagues in the field, disclosed in an unquiet mind that she, in fact, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. It's a Bible for anybody who's dealing with it or knows someone who's dealing with it. But what she does in this book is she talks about there's a difference between healing and curing. Hmm. And she talks about the healing of mental illness. And she doesn't, although pharmaceuticals have become a major element of healing mental illness, she is focused on the psychotherapy Hmm. of healing. And what she does, it's um, the book is broken up into three parts. One kind of focuses on trauma and mental illness and focuses on the impact of war. The second part of it 
discusses this notion of healing, not curing. And the third part of it talks about what she calls consolation and confession, that the role of psychotherapy and psychotherapists who have that sort of magical skill of being healers are key to how you actually heal someone with mental illness, not necessarily cure them, but heal them. And I'm about halfway through it. And I just think, you know, you can't be alive today and not know someone dealing with mental illness. And whether it's episodic or it's a lifelong battle that you're having. And so I think the more we can read to understand how we as friends and patients and and psychotherapists have a responsibility to understand the breadth of what these issues look like and how we can all help each other cope with it. And then there are the healers. So anybody interested in that topic, either read An Unquiet Mind or Fires in the Dark. She's just a I've had the pleasure of meeting her when she published Unquiet Mind. She spent a day in New Haven and did an author event for us, as well as go like do grand rounds at Yale and meet with other groups. So uh, so you've been listening to an episode of Just the Right Book Shorts. I've been joined by Bill Goldstein. You can send us any letters, love letters. Don't send us hate letters, but you can be critical at podcast at rjjoya.com. You can go to rjjoya, hit the podcast on the nav bar and see all the books that we've talked about. And until next time, uh, happy reading. Billy, thank you. Thank you, Roxanne. You are listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Gino Cardone at Pleasant Podcast. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am Roxanne Cody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any comments, observations, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at justtherightbook at rjjulia.com.